Okay, so on this week's episode of Master of the Craft, you have an old friend mm-hmm. uh, joining the show, and you guys really do go back a long way. So, who's on the show this week? Uh, Al Higgins. So, Al Higgins, we've had Steve Higgins on, and so Steve is uh, the one of the producers of SNL and also um, Jimmy Fallon's sidekick. And Steve, I've known for a long time, since 1986, and I've known Al not quite that long, but Al is his younger brother. And Al has uh, was uh, a writer on Malcolm in the Middle, uh, on the show News Radio, um, and uh, the Kaminsky Method, and um, oh, tons of stuff. Like, he <laughs> works a lot. Um, and just, uh, I think, a really, he's a funny guy, he's a smart guy, um, when I first met him, he was the little brother. Mm-hmm. He talks about it a little bit on the on the podcast, but he was the little brother, and I always thought, dude, you should really be doing stuff because he wasn't quite working in comedy and writing. And I'm like, you should really be doing stuff. And so uh, eventually, people let him do stuff, and he's just he's just amazing at at what he does. And um, uh, and I say this, I feel like I. I say this about a lot of people, but I am lucky enough to know a lot of really great, sweet people. And he's just one of the sweetest dudes. Like um, the first time I was ever in New York, um, I was staying with the Higgins and uh, Al would always make sure I knew how to get the subway and like, I'll walk you down there. And like, just always a decent, decent human being. Um, Yeah, I feel lucky to know him just as a human being. And um, and as a craftsperson uh, as well. But I just like Al. All right. This yeah. week's episode, we got Al Higgins. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller, Masters of the Craft, a conversational series hosted by author and filmmaker Brian McDonald. In this episode, Brian is joined by television producer and writer Al Higgins, known for hit shows like Malcolm in the Middle, Mike and Molly, and The Kaminsky Method. Al shares what it takes to tell truthful stories in surprising ways and the five key elements every successful scene must include. You know, I have that, um, what's that thing uh, uh, when you feel like you're a fraud and you... uh, Oh, uh, imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome. So I still have that even after these many years. Really? Of of not feeling, I, I, I feel like they can run me out of show business at any time. They'll, they'll see, see that uh, I'm full of shit and you're gone. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's bad on one hand because you're like, you know, it, it but it's good on another hand because it all actually drives me because I don't think I'm good enough. It actually drives me to work harder and be better at what I do because I'm never satisfied. I never think what I write is gold. I never think it's great. Mm-hmm. And so I think that actually fuels me because there was a summer where I thought I had it figured out and I couldn't write anymore. It's like it was gone. Really? Yeah. It was very weird. That's and so I realized I needed that fuel to, and and honestly, working for a Chuck Lorre and stuff like that has added to that fuel because I'm always trying to please him. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to, because being a little brother, I always needed somebody to please. I was trying to please my brothers. And so Chuck Lorre gives me that fuel of, oh shit, it's got to be good enough for him. I can't disappoint him. Right. More than my own thing of like, I have to write for me or I have to, you know, it's, it's weird. I need that other person to sort of fuel me in a weird way. Is that why, you know, I talked to Steve and we're going to get back to some other things, but I talked to Steve and he says, well, 
it's interesting because Al and I both work for these kind of mogul TV mogul yeah. people. Yeah. And neither one of us is that interested in being our own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No desire. I have no desire. I have no desire to be a showrunner, but I, huh. am. right. I, 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 I find no joy in it. Really? Yeah. Cause I was trying to figure it out because when I took over the show from that guy, I realized I was doing it cause I was good at it. One, I, I actually went through this when, when the guy who I took over Mike and Molly for when he got removed, I go, if I don't, if I don't step into this position, I'm going to have to train the new guy oh, oh, sure. to do it. And so it might be easier because I know Billy and I know Melissa. It might be easier for everyone if I just step up and do it. Right. Because I was terrified. And, and, Were you really? And, yeah. Just terrified to live up to, because it's a good show. Mike Amali is a very good show. To live up to that quality, I didn't know if I could do it. Mm. And I did it, but I was, I was in pain the rest of those three years. For three years, I ran that show. Because I was trying to please Chuck Lorre, I was trying to please Melissa McCarthy. Both of them at the top of their game. Melissa McCarthy, the biggest star in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chuck Lorre, the, the, the most successful producer in the world at the time. And they didn't always agree on everything. So I had to sort of please both of these masters who are some of the hardest people in the world to please. Mm. Literally in the entertainment world please in tv Mm -hmm. and so when it ended people were like are you sad i was like i had such relief that i made it and i did it well and they were both pleased and that's why for this next one i'm a little more relaxed because it will never be the pressure that i felt that first job first show running job wow it's it was anyway it was it was people look at the glamour of show running it's 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 one of the hardest jobs in show business it's what what, what made it hard for you? What made it hard? Um, so, you know, you're basically running a $50 million corporation every year. You know, that's how much it costs to produce this thing, 22 <laughs> episodes. You got network, you got studios, you got actors, you got Chuck Lorre, you've got writers, you got all these people. The buck stops with you. And so it's not just about putting out a good script. If you just had to do that, that's hard enough. But now you got to produce it. You got to produce a way where when your actor doesn't like it, you got to convince them that it's good. You got to, it's like, there's so many moving parts and you, the train can't, if you're down, the train's done. Right. So the buck stops with you. And so it's that pressure and then you get ratings and you get, there's, there's pressure from places you don't even know the pressure should be coming from. And, and, and I think people who enjoy power, they get more out of it than I do. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, like a showrunner, there's something in them that they say, "I'm the star. I'm the I'm the guy that's running everything." They almost get a, a high out of people turning to them for questions and and turning to them for guidance. And I'm the opposite of like, I don't know what I'm fucking doing, dude. Why are you asking me? You know, it's like right. I, I I have that built into me. So all I can do. So how? Here's how I did it. Was I worked so hard that I could rest at night going. I can't do better. Okay. I can't do better than this. So there's no laying in bed going like, I should have done this. I shouldn't have that. I left it all on the field. Okay. And, and so that's how I got through it. 
you know, and I was just exhausted by the end of it. Let's back up a little bit and talk about um, you. The first thing I remember after your brother's show, and maybe I'm wrong, is Doug. Yes, the cartoon Doug. The, the cartoon Doug. So you worked on Doug. Yep. And did you, you, you were a producer on Doug as well? No, I was uh, started as a PA. Okay. Turned into a writer's assistant, which I almost turned down. Really? Because the person that was in beforehand make the, made the job look so hard that I was like, oh, I don't want that hard job. Mm-hmm. And I found in my career when I've had stomach aches uh, about a job or a fear of it, that's where I had to go to grow and, and be better. Okay. So I find that sometimes people, when they see a obstacle, they'll go the easiest route. Yeah. And they won't break through that pain or that fear. Yeah. And it will never get them to the next level. I always say to people that you, you can't break through the wall until you hit the wall. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you got to be ready for that and you got to be ready to take that next step. So I took the next step to be a writer's assistant. And while I was there, you remember Kenny Scarborough who worked yeah. on um, so I would give Kenny ideas and, and, and like you were saying about like, you saw that I was talented, but I didn't see that in myself. So I was like, I'd give notes, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but here's what I would do. And Kenny would like my jokes and it'd be funny. And so uh, a script, a person was supposed to write a script for Doug and they bagged out. They like, they disappeared. So they had a script that was due the next day. Oh, wow. And so Kenny said, why don't you give Al a chance? So they said, okay. Here's the story. You have one night to write this script. Wow. I wrote it in a night, spent, stayed up all night, and they loved it. You know, Nickelodeon loved it. Uh, Jim Jenkins loved it. And then uh, it was ready for next year, and they said, what do you want to do next year? I go, I would love to be a writer. And they go, okay, you can be a writer. So it was, it was a weird, like, like pushing huh. through. I never would have done it without – because it took me a long time to say I'm a writer. Because I don't have the great American novel in me. I right. don't have short stories that are brewing. Da, da, da. I'm a TV writer. And it's a different animal. It's like I, I, I absorb so much TV as a kid watching it and stuff like that that I have, I think, an innate ability to do it. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, I truly have no other skill set. Like I don't, I can't, like I couldn't write a book. I couldn't, I mean, I've tried writing movies. which is a pain in the ass. It's like I've just, I'm built for TV and luckily for me, that's where I ended up, and that's where I continue to thrive. This is interesting that you growing up on TV. I, I, I get that and understand that. Was any part of you taking it in for any other reason than just you like, liked watching TV? Or was part of you thinking that you might do that one day or anything? No, no, none of it was I might do this one day. Because okay. coming from Iowa, we're very sensible and... I never thought I could write for television. I mean, that, that would, that'd be a dream that was just so far beyond. Like, I was too sensible to think I could do it. And luckily, Steve and I, I'm sure Steve talked about that, but we had Dave, who wasn't sensible, who was like, we can be funny. We can do this. He had a star complex in his mind, my older brother, Dave. Yeah. And so that's what got those guys to LA to say, maybe we can do this. Because Dave was sort of like, had the whatever it is, star quality or something inside of it say, we can fucking do this. But Steve and I sort of got carried along by Dave's sort of narcissism. I don't know what you would call it, but like the <laughs> yeah. star quality that said, fuck all of you, I'm good. Right. Well, you kind of need that. I mean, that's a real thing. 
that's a real thing. That and you, without Dave, Steve and I, we've said it, we'd be the funniest guys at Firestone Plant. We'd be the funniest guys ten bar in Des Moines. We'd still be in Des Moines. We mm-hmm. wouldn't be in LA. Just because I, if you really think about it, it just doesn't make sense to pick up everything and move to Los Angeles to try to be in the entertainment industry. When that nobody in your family was that, nobody you knew, you have no ins. You have right. zero ins. You're going cold to this place. Those guys were the first guys going, I just followed them. I just followed, you know, my brothers. Even when I'm doing it now, I can't believe I'm writing for television. I can't believe that that this is what I do for a living. You know, it's just very, very weird. And you've been doing it forever now. Yeah. I mean, when was, when was Doug? Like 92, maybe? Yeah. So, so it's been a while. 30 years or something almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you should get, you're going to. You're going to retire and not believe that you. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. well, honestly, that's why I want to retire to go like, I did it. I fooled him. I got it. I, I, got my I did it. You know, it's so crazy. People are crazy. So what, what I just want to know, this is just, uh, I, I just want to know what shows you were watching as a kid. Uh, old one. I was watching Andy Griffith's show. I was watching. There you go. The that Beaver. came up a lot with. Yeah. Yeah. It, it I mean, came up with Steve and I. Yeah. Andy Sergeant Bilko. Okay. Uh, all the old good ones. Yeah. I will say this. I wasn't a studious. I didn't absorb it and, and turn it into something. I just absorbed. That's why I said I mine. It comes from within. Sometimes people are too smart for their own good and they, they Mm. study it too much and they think about it too much and they add too many layers and they, and they take out the instinct sometimes. I'm not saying this is your case, but it's like, like, but they, 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 it's, it's, it's analyzed to such a degree and it's, it's crafted to such a degree that the life goes out of it. It's like it, writers can read it and go like, Oh my God, I love the fucking what you did. But then normals, you know, don't respond to it the same way. Cause they don't see the craft. They just see like, Oh, I wanted to see the guy fart. I wanted to see the guy, you know, they, <laughs> right, they just right. have this sort of like <laughs> base element that if you're too smart, you take all that base element out. Cause you're like, cause Chuck Lorre has taught me to take out a lot of that stuff. That's a, a lot of that. Stuff. Really? Well, here's what I think um, that um, it's always a balance craft. If you use it correctly, helps you tap into the instinct. Yeah. If that yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. 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 If, if you only rely on craft, then it can be um, stale. It can be, you know, I, I talked to, um, to Frank Oz about this and we were talking about how he creates characters and there's a magic component he can't explain. Like, he goes, I don't know how... It's a, he, you know, he uses his pain to create. So all his characters struggle with something. Yoda struggles with some things. And Miss Piggy uh-huh. struggles with things. And, and he builds all his characters around their struggle. And, but he said that he wasn't sure how they transcend just being puppets. Because what I was saying is all the characters he creates seem like they exist outside of Frank Oz. Like, it seems like Cookie Monster's surely out there doing something, right? He's out there right now, right? But he's not. Or that Miss Piggy, like, what do you mean she's just sitting in a closet somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, with no life in her until Frank Oz or somebody comes along. Um, And he couldn't tell me where that magic part comes from because I think uh, that comes from a really instinctual place. Yeah. But he uses all of his craft to tap into it. That's great. That's what Chuck Lorre says about um, like creating a sitcom. All your characters are broken people that use each other to heal. Like they use the other characters to sort of make themselves whole. And, and, huh. But they all have to be broken. You know, you can't, you know, you only got, got to start from a place of being broken or a want 
and then the other people help them get out whatever they want. You know. Oh, sure. Well, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. So did you learn anything on the Jon Stewart show uh, that you can remember learning? Right. Uh-huh. Um, was there anything that you learned about craft there or was that just, I'm writing jokes for Jon Stewart. And- Honestly, I didn't learn anything until Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, really? Yeah. So, okay. So on news radio, you weren't learning anything that you can recall. No, because those dudes, I was, it was me and a bunch of Harvard dudes and Yale dudes. Oh, okay. And, and, and they're very funny, but it just wasn't contributing at the, at, to the height of my ability. I learned how to run it. I learned how to deal with actors. I learned that kind of stuff. But writing wise, I didn't find my voice until uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Okay. And I think because those dudes, the Harvard dudes are different. They do things in a less emotional way. They do things more of a cerebral way and a wordplay and smartness and smart jokes and, and that whole thing. And I was more, again, instinct and, right. and feel. And so uh, my stuff was a little different. You know, my stuff was a little, it's, I was still uh, a contributor and, and successful on the show, but it wasn't like, I always felt like I was, it was, I was just giving them stuff. Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? I wasn't. I was, I find it interesting that, cause it wasn't always this way. How many people who write in television have these crazy educations, um, particularly in comedy? Because it wasn't that way before. Like, people on right on the Dick Van Dyke show didn't have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, you know, or it, it was it's, like Sheldon Leonard. You know, Sheldon Leonard. Yeah, that, uh, I was yeah. just talking about yeah. Sheldon Leonard. Yeah. yeah, it's like it was that guy. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. balls, kid. You know yeah. that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and and it turned into the uh, sort of the Harvard lampoonification of television. Uh, I mean, those were heydays, you know, Seinfeld and, and, oh, yeah. and uh, all that shit. They were, they were great shows, you know, but it became more about the joke and the craft of the joke. But I, I didn't feel like Roseanne was run that way, especially that first that, you know, the people I knew working on that show. Yeah, they didn't. She, have she was more. Yeah, no, she was more right from the walls, right from a real place. Yeah. And, and that's what Chuck Lorre is. And that's what uh, that Linwood Boomer when I went over there, it was writing from a more real place. And that was more what I was built for. Yeah. Let's talk about a real place. What do you mean when you say that? When I say that is when there's truth in the things, like no matter what you're writing, there's got to be truth. So it can't just be clever ways to say something. It can't just be relying on the joke. It's relying on, on fun attitudes and surprising attitudes from people that come from a, a real place, but a surprising place. Right. So, I always tell the people, don't don't go for jokes in the scene. Go for the real and go for the attitude and go for the surprise. Come out the thing sideways. Don't just come straight at what the scene has to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if your scene has to do X, Y, Z, throw all that out. Do W, you know, and then hopefully X, Y, and Z will be, you know. Can you, can you, can you, do you have an example of what you mean by that? So when you make an outline, when you have an outline, You'll go like, oh, Bob has to um, yell at his brother Doug because he's mad about X. And so when you write that scene, if your writer goes like, Bob walks in, Doug, uh, I'm fucking pissed at you. You got to do X. Your scene's over. It's like, what the right. fuck? Is that? You know, it's right, like, yeah. there's no life into it. But if you have a scene about Bob trying to get a, like find a stamp when his brother comes in, 
uh, he's finding this, trying to find the fucking stamp in the drawer. The brother's talking about this thing, and he needs that fucking stamp for this letter. And da 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 da. He is able to blow up in a different way that yeah. still gets the thing across. But it's, it, and that's why I always tell my people go at it sideways. Don't just say this yeah. is what the scene needs to do. Forget all that. You know, throw out the iron. Fuck the outline. As Chuck Lorre says, fuck the outline. Uh, know what emotion you have to get to and, and, and get to it in a surprising way. Hmm. That's what I'm saying. talking about getting at it sideways. You never go on it front because you'll read a script and somebody will go like the person will come in, say what they're feeling. The other person will respond to what that person just said that there's no life in there. These people right. aren't living people, you know? Right. And so to make it real, have a line about something else, like a, a other thing that's bothering him in his life. That's not on story. Right. And what that does, it it gives these people they're real people. Then they're not right. just uh, 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 slaves to the outline. Right. So when you're doing that, you have that line, and never have your other character then comment on the line that was just said. That's moving backwards. You got to move forward. Right. So that person has to react to whatever this person said and take you to another place. Mm-hmm. And then that takes character. So then your scene has momentum, and it's not just this weird commenting on what each other are saying this is uh slightly off from that this was a directing thing i heard about so on the show rhoda valerie harper and julie kavner had a scene where they were talking about men or a breakup or something and the scene wasn't playing so it just it was it was too on the nose kind of what you were saying yeah exactly yeah but they didn't rewrite the scene the director brought in a prop he brought in um uh ice cream in a carton that was completely frozen. And he said, during this scene, I want you guys to scoop out ice cream. So as they have this talk, they never talk about the ice cream, but there's chipping and there's, and, she, yeah. and Valerie Harper said the scene came alive just with that prop yeah. because it gave us something else to do and to concentrate on and to make, to add life to the scene. And they could, there could be subtext, exactly. uh, you know, uh, that, yeah, that's the problem is most of the time there's no subtext. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's the problem. It's that people just come straight at the thing and it's like, that's boring. That's, it's just, and that's just writing, trying to get through his outline. He's trying to get, this is what right. he needs to do. Okay, you did it, but there's no, this is not interesting. Not <laughs> right. Well, I also think one of the things I think that subtext does, it gives the audience something to do. If characters talk on the nose and say exactly how they feel and exactly what they mean, there's nothing for you to do. Yeah. As an audience member, except watch it. But if somebody's looking for the, you know, we're out of milk again, but they're really mad about something else and they yeah. go on about the milk, you go, your brain is going, well, they're not really mad about that milk. Yeah. They're mad yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. It gives yeah. you, it yeah. makes you, you have to participate. Exactly. Without that, you're not participating. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. 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 And I, and you'll see that in dramas, good dramas. Oh yeah. You'll go like, you know, you watch Mad Men and you go like, what the fuck was that scene? I felt something, but I don't know the fucking what that scene was, you know? And sometimes it did it too much in Mad Men where you're like, oh, what the fuck was that? You know, yeah. it's like, it gave me nothing, but those, uh, the ambiguity in those scenes in those, in those dramas that are coming along now where they aren't on the nose and it makes you work. Those are the ones you are engaged with. Those are the ones that are like, it's so great. And if you can apply that to comedy, it really, it, 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 it brings the whole script alive, brings the whole show alive. 
I, I'm actually one of the few people who doesn't think this is the golden age of television in that way, especially with the dramas. I like these shows that stood on their own. I could just tune in at any point. I can watch any episode of MASH. I can't watch any episode of any show that's running right now because I have to watch the 10 that came before it. And, you know, and to get the resolution, I have to watch the 10 that come after, you know, um, and I don't I don't like that feeling. I actually think binge watching is a sign of something poorly written, not well written. Stories are meant to resolve. What happens is people don't get a, get a resolution. What I like about them with no resolution is that life doesn't have a resolution. And to me, in, when you see something that is not clean and not resolved, that's what life is. And that to me is surprising. That to me, is, I guess for me, it surprises me because I know in my TV brain, it should do this and this. And when it doesn't do it, I like that because it's surprising to me that it didn't tie it up cleanly. I think you can, I think you can do both things. I, I think there's a reason that when most of these shows end that people are disappointed with the ending because it wasn't going anywhere. That's what I'm saying about sometimes we're too smart for our own good. That's mm-hmm. what I was going about. It's like you need some of that stupid, you need some idiocy in your writing. and whatever. There's like, I, my brother Mike is the oldest brother. Right. He's super, he knows seven languages. He did. He's too smart. He uh-huh. isn't, I'm so glad I'm dumber than him. So I was able to be successful in television. If that makes sense. Sometimes people are too smart for their own good. And they go like, well, it should do this. Or they get, so Oh, that's a different thing. And, and, that's, and, yeah. and, but there's there, like Baywatch. I hate Baywatch. Right. But the stupidity in that, the stupidity in Gilligan's Island, the stupidity in Brady Bunch, it was the right amount of stupid for a lot of people. <laughs> and so you got to go. Yeah, this doesn't, I don't, I don't like that because it's too stupid or not good, but you got to go like, but there's a lot of people that fucking eat that up and you got to give it up for it. You know, I do at least at this point in my age in my life. Yeah, I don't. Here's the thing. <laughs> I don't think you have to make that trade. That's what I guess. I, I don't think you have to do one or the other. I don't think you have to be sophisticated or stupid or, you know what I mean? I don't think you need to do the, I, I think that there is a, a balance that can happen. I think that it can in some ways be easy to, well, uh, I'm not a person who thinks something ba- is bad because it's popular, but I do think that you can sometimes be popular by appealing to not the best thing in people. So I was a craftsman and on Mike and uh, Malcolm in the middle, I was a true, like, that was my voice. That was my, like, I came alive on that show. Okay. And a thing that Linwood Boomer beat out of me was he would take out jokes and it would make me so angry because he was like, the joke is, is, is fighting the emotion here. Oh yeah, sure. And I didn't understand that until that show. Okay. So I got that. Okay. And then I became... I wrote a pilot after that that was, writers loved it. Writers loved this fucking pilot. It got me, I shot it. It never went anywhere, okay. but it got me street cred throughout Hollywood because people loved it. Uh-huh. But it was too smart for its own good. It was like, I, I, the best thing that could happen for me is that show didn't go because I was able to learn more to do something else. Sure. So I get to Chuck Lorre's world. Going into Chuck Lorre's world, I'm a writer's writer. Like other writers read my stuff and they go, that's great. Because here's what I would do. I would go like, okay, the story's going this way. Story. I'm going to go like, I'm going to turn at the end there. Because 
everybody thinks it's going to go this way. I'm going to fucking turn. And okay. writers would go like, oh, I fucking love that. I didn't see that coming. Uh, normals would watch it and go like, why didn't it go there? I thought uh-huh. you were going there. And I, I'd have to explain to them, no, no, no. See, you thought it was going there, but I went there. And they go, well, I didn't like that. I wanted to go there. Right. And so Chuck, Lori taught me that it's like, go there, but do it well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and what he would do also too is I would have a joke that was so well crafted. It was, it was funny on three levels. If you really sat there and looked at it, sure, it's like this word was referencing something in Act One. Okay, this sure. was doing this thing, da da da. <laughs> right, yeah. And and Chuck Lorre would look at it and go, "What the fuck is that?" Mm. And I go, "Chuck." It's brilliant because look at like this. <laughs> da, 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 da. He, goes, he goes, nobody gives a shit. You're just going to confuse them. What's the fucking joke here? What's your joke? And, yeah. and you just have to pare it all down and go like, I guess it's this attitude is the joke. Okay, there's your fucking joke. Go on. move Because all the audience is seeing is this line. That's all they're getting is this line right now. They don't right. know it's going to pay off later. They don't know, they right. don't know the fucking curly cues. So it's a weird thing where until I went into this was his world, I was more about the craft instead of the. But the funny thing accessible. is, what you just said is what I said. I don't like about most of the dramas. Right. Oh that, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> right. Right. Like, yeah, like, yeah. 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 Like I don't. I'm watching this right now. Why are you referring to this thing over here or that thing? Oh, you had ten shows go- ago that they hated each other. Oh, okay. I got to know that now. Like, all right. I see what you're saying. I get. Yeah. Because sometimes, and I think Lost did that or whatever. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors to say we don't know where we're going. Right. So look here. Look there. We don't really know what we're doing. I w- uh, I watched half of the pilot of Lost and went, this show doesn't know where it's going. <laughs> Half of the pilot. And people kept saying, you got to watch Lost. It's pretty good. I'm like, no, it isn't. And they're like, it's pretty good. And then it ended. And they're like, that was crap. I'm like, I, I knew in half the pilot it was crap and it wasn't going anywhere. See, you're too prescient, Brian. Well, well, you know what it is? You make a promise when you start to tell a story. And when you betray that promise, that's when people feel like, well, wait, you told me you were going someplace else. Yeah. You said you were, the, the, the thing is, it's not, oh, I thought you were going there. It's, you told me you were going there. I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying about, like, I see a lot of stuff is just because people can't pull it off. They can't do it. But what are the shows, what, what dramas do you like? Because I will say this, Brian, there are uh, 500 dramas that you can watch. They can't all be bad. You're going to think I'm just saying this, but your show kind of is both, right? You're, yeah, drama and, and, yeah. yeah. And you're going to think I'm just saying this, but I'm not just saying this. Your show, like, oh, I like this show. Like, this is one of those yeah. things. And I, I wouldn't say it. I would just be like, yeah, you do this other show. I'd find yeah, a way yeah. not to. But no, it's true. No, I don't like most stuff. I happen to think this is the Dark Ages. If you believe there's such a thing as a renaissance, here's the way I think about it. During the renaissance, were there bad artists? I'm sure there were. Yeah. Right? You, you know what I mean? I'm sure there were bad artists. But we think of it. As the Renaissance because of how much good stuff there was. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to know enough people who work in television and movies. And what I find is when I speak to somebody who's older, they know why they do what they do. They have philosophy, philosophy behind what they do. When I talk to somebody who's younger, they talk about what they do. I do this. I always wanted to do this. It's a very different way of thinking. And I feel that in the shows. So I feel like a show like MASH had a, a, the idea was 
in order to stay sane, sometimes you have to act crazy, right? I feel like that's in every episode of the show and it's underneath every episode of the show. And I feel like it was a compass for the show. Mm-hmm. I feel like the shows have no compass except this person is quirky or mm-hmm. isn't this weird or in this one you get CTNA, you know, or whatever. I, I don't feel like there's an underlying thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk to people who do these things, they don't really have an underlying thing. And that's what I feel. Like you stopped in the middle of the pilot without waiting for the resolution for Lost. Is it because of the scenes weren't doing what you wanted them to do or there was too much? Like- you could tell it was random. Look, if I start to tell you a story, your brain will automatically flag every detail I give you. So I went to get a cup of espresso. And so I, I walked out of the building and there was a guy, like a homeless guy in front of the building. Um, there's not usually homeless guys in front of the building. So that was a little weird. But anyway, I go and I get my, my, uh, my cup of coffee. And when I'm in there, I, I run into a friend that I hadn't seen in a long time. And it was really weird because he doesn't live, he doesn't live anywhere near here. And I found it strange that he was, I didn't think anything of it. So anyway, the more of those details I give you, the more you go, okay, the friend that's important. Okay. The homeless guy, that's important. The guy doesn't live in the area yet. He's there. That's important. There's a certain point where I will lose your, where I'll lose your trust. And you're like, you're giving me a bunch of details and not all these details can matter. Mm. So you, you're saying those things, they overwhelmed you with the details and you're like, this can't be, there's too many details. There's too much stuff. There's too much. You're throwing the kitchen sink in here. And I think the reason it fools people is because people go, well, there must be a reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was like, there's no reason. They are just trying to get you to watch the next show and the next one and the next one and the next one. That's the name of the game now. Yeah. Um, that's the way I feel about it. And it, 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 it bores me. I find, um, you know what I find? I find that often there's a lack of real drama. And what I mean by that is um, it's a quote. I think Walter Matthau is the first person I heard say it, but I don't think it's his quote, um, which is people think drama is when the people on the screen cry. But drama's when the people in the audience cry. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what I find with a lot of these shows that go, oh, they're sad. I guess I'm supposed to feel sad because yeah. they're sad. But I don't feel sad because they don't have the craft to make me feel it. So they think just by showing me somebody else's emotion, I will have them. Yeah. Instead of making me have them. That's what I find. Alan Arkin, when he we did that scene where... Uh, it's his wife's eulogy or whatever. And he blew us away every time he did it. And what he was doing, it was trying not to cry. And trying not to cry. Yeah. That and, used to. It's like crazy. It's like, it was so much more effective than. I remember hearing an old director when I was a kid say, you go to the verge and then the audience will cry. Yeah. But if you, you have to hold it in. And what I see often is that the, instead, most people don't want to go, especially publicly to a deep, emotional place yeah so they will contain it yeah um and that's much more sad to watch what i find in a lot of performances is people are trying to convince me that i'm sad that somebody died it's like i get that you're sad i understand part i'm human too so i understand this situation might make you sad you do not have to convince me with your acting or your writing that it's sad do the other thing. I, re- I was having this conversation with, with August Wilson. He was, we, we were talking about this very thing. Uh-huh. I said, I said, look, let's say I go, this is the way most people write. They would write this. So let's say 
a guy is at a party and he's the life of the party and he's maybe drinking a little too much, but he's the life of the party and he's cracking jokes and he's the, he's the funniest guy and everybody loves him and he's great. Comes home, he gets, uh, uh, you know, let's put this, uh, make it old timey. He comes home, he gets a telegram that his son has died in the war, right? I go, okay, fine. I go, you reverse those scenes. He gets a telegram, his son is dead. Then he goes to the party. He's drinking a little too much. He's the life of the party. All you feel is pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You don't have to change how you wrote the scene. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. People will fill it in because they're human too. Right? Yeah. You know? Um, and that's what most people don't do. And I see a lot of that. I, I, I watch TV and I go, why is that scene here instead of there? Yeah. If you move it here, now I care. That's so funny. If, so you know too much, Brian. And, and, and uh, that is your problem. And, uh, and I will say it because I'm that way with, I can't watch comedies because I see the craft. I see the, how they make it. And I just worry about that joke. I can't watch comedies. I can't. So I, I use dramas for an escape because I'm not thinking about the joke or how they did that or what they could have done better. Right. I'm not analyzing it like I do comedy. So, so that's so funny. You say you write comedy but there's so many amazing dramatic moments in the show you're doing now. Yeah. Well, cause it's always like, is it real? Would somebody really do that? What is the, you know, and that's where our stories come from. Not in what's the, what plot wise could happen. No, what would real people do? And right. sort of that drives it. It's all from character and it's all from a real emotional place. Well, there's no difference between that and like comedy and drama have that in common. Yeah. Right. Neil Simon didn't know, in fact, Billy Wilder said the same thing. Billy Wilder said, I didn't know whether I was writing a comedy or a drama. He goes, I w- when we showed it, if people laughed, I called it a comedy. That's like, a, yeah, in his yeah. mind, it was the job was the same. And Neil Simon said the same thing. Like, it's the same. I'm not doing anything different. I mean, I'll take out jokes in the Bob Hart's episode. I'm doing, I just take out jokes because it feels like a joke. It's like, no, it's got to be from character and from uh, uh, attitude or else it's not. It just it's words. It's just words. You, you found your voice, you say, on Malcolm in the Middle. It can be hard to define your own voice, right? Yeah. Do you have any idea how to define that? You don't have to. Um, mm. I think it's not a jokey voice. It's a more real, from more real place, a surprising place. Um, I have a good ability to come at things sideways, like I'm talking about. Like, like I was good at Malcolm in the Middle because we'd we'd get the characters into a place and we'd want to solve it, but we couldn't do it in a straightforward way. Right. So one thing I thought like we couldn't leave until we thought of a way. So it was an episode roller skating episode where Malcolm tells his father, fuck you. You know, he tells his dad, fuck you. And Linwood Boomer who ran that show was like, every kid does that. Every kid tells their dad to fuck off. And at a certain point I was like, I never fucking did. I mean, like we couldn't relate to that, but he wanted a consequence to that mm-hmm. and and you couldn't beat the kid you couldn't right do yeah. these things and i go and i was thinking like what if you know when somebody smokes a cigarette they make them smoke a whole pack like what if the dad makes him call him every swear word <laughs> and, and so he loved that because it was like so fucked up and weird. Yet it made organic sense. But that's yeah. how my mind worked. I make these weird connections of like, oh, I wonder if that could da 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 da. Uh-huh. And uh, 
And so I found like the first, I was on the Malcolm for the first three seasons and my ability to do that was uh, help the show go in surprising places and tell stories in a surprising way and resolve in a surprising way because I had a good sense of that and I could, I could really do that well. You know? huh. And that didn't come from a joke. That's not a well-crafted right. joke about cigarettes. It's, it's right. just a concept. That's a funny concept. And I find I'm better at that stuff than the crafting of the words, the perfect phrase and stuff like that. Sure. It's, it's, a, it's finding the right attitude in a scene and a fun attitude in a scene uh, that's funny more than the words itself. Sure. That's sort of what I do well. Yeah, it's interesting because there are people who like, they're just like, they're like joke yeah. machines, joke you know, machines. like, yeah. I never had that. So I was like, oh, that's, a, I always felt that that was a, um, a fault of mine that I didn't have that ability. Oh. But then I made up for it in other places, you know, I was right. able to, to uh, find twists and stories and do things not that, again, like you're saying, I was able to go like, I knew what the story should do. So I could. I could go that direction, but not directly at it where the audience was like, like, Oh, I saw that coming from a mile away. I go, you might've saw it coming, but did you see this? You know, another thing on top of it that sort of surprises you or undercuts it or, or yeah, sure. Acknowledges what the ending should be, but then also puts some, something else on it. Sure. And then that's really satisfying for an audience. I think. Yeah. Right. They, they, they want to be surprised, but they don't want to be lied to. Exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, that's a, yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of surprise, the, going to Glory's thing too, is he taught me, it's very hard to outline a, an episode of a Chuck Glory show because you can never head towards a place. Like he, as a regular writer, I would go like, oh, we'll do this at the end. Well, let's, let's head towards that. And so he sniffs that out. He knows. He, you'll have a scene up front. And he goes, what the fuck's that scene? Are you heading towards something? And you're like, yeah. You know, he, he knows because the audience is, they don't know you're heading towards them. They just see this shitty scene that's just right. a setup scene. Right. Okay, and sure. so you've got to take out those setup scenes. You've got to have a scene. It has to be self-contained. It has to be an interesting scene on its own. Sure. And, and. If it gets you to that place you're heading for, great. If it doesn't, you can't continue on that road because it's a bad road because your characters are sending you in a different place emotionally. Sure. And so that's what we say by fuck the outline is is you might want to head there, but if – and a writer will tend to do this. Every scene will head towards that place, and, and it'll be like rolling downhill towards it. And all your surprise is gone because you're so focused on what that great end scene is that that the scenes before that don't satisfy you right and so again that's my problem with drama on tv right that the shows themselves don't stand alone they're all setups for the next show and setups for the next show and setups yeah. for the next show. yeah yes. that's what i'm talking about yeah no so we on kaminsky ours are yes they are self-contained you could watch this at kaminsky but it it does have an overriding story like like it yes. does both and I think a lot of writers really liked our show because it surprised them. It felt organic. And I will say this, there was not a false note in there because right. Chuck sniffed it out and got it out of there. You know, it's like 
He's amazing at that fucking. It's like he is a savant. So basically, he's really good at keeping people honest as they work, right? Keeping exactly. Them- I mean, he, he this exactly right. And as a writer, when you're writing 20 jokes, you lose yourself. You forget, like you're in a writer's room and you're like, oh, what about this wacky thing we can do? It's funny. And right. you'll go like, what the fuck is that? Real people don't do that. What are you doing? And you go like, right. but it's funny. But he's like, it's not real. Get it out of there. I want to tell you what I, 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 yeah. I was like, why does Chuck like my stuff? And, and I'll tell you what a scene has to do. If you're doing an emotion, it has to be uncomfortable. As a writer, you tend to not, when something's hurting your stomach, you shy away from it. That's where you got to go. It's got to mm-hmm. be uncomfortable. It's got to be unexpected. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have this scene that you're like, oh, I know what this is. No, it's got to be surprise. There's got to be surprise in there. Uh, it has to be interesting. Like people forget that too. They're trying to service the story or do anything. It's like, it's like, why do I fucking care about the scene? There's nothing interesting in the scene. There's nothing going on. There's nothing real here. Why should I watch this? It has to be grounded. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is it has to be funny. So after you do all that, funny. Whereas a lot of people start the scene of going like, this has got to be a funny scene. But there's something on that list. I wanted to go through it. Can you read that list? Because there's something. So what was the first thing? Uncomfortable. So that's about emotion. It's like it has to, the emotion has to get to a place where you're like, oh shit, they can't do that. If you're saying that, that's what you got to do. Okay. That's where you have to go. That's where your story has to go. That person has to do that to that person because then as an audience, you feel it. Right. You feel that shit, shit just went down. How are they going to get out of that? Right. And, 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 in less, and as a writer, I find myself doing it to this day. I forget all these rules all the time, by the way. Okay. But, but I, I, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, I, I, but I, when I remember, I was like, oh shit, the scene's doing all our stuff. You know, when it's a good scene, you go back and you go like, oh, look at it. It's doing great. But that uncomfortable thing is something I have to remember all the time because we all went into writing and comedy because we are uncomfortable with emotion. So right. we cure it with a joke. We make right. a fat joke before somebody calls us fat. We you know, right. do all these things to hide our emotions. And as a writer, you got to forget that you got to get to the emotion and get to that, you know. Yeah. I also think that um, people often avoid conflict because we do do that in life. You yes. generally don't want to have conflicts. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, so exactly, you, you yeah. make choices that minimize conflict. Right. Yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so. And so- and so, like in a scene, like if a, a character says something really horrible or we're conflicting, you go like, oh, no, he wouldn't say that because the guy would take a swing at him. You go like, if a person really said that to a character, another person, what would he do? He would fucking take a swing at him. So unless you're going to have a character take a swing at him, he can't say that. Right. Or race that line, you know. Right. And, and like you're saying, too, avoiding conflict. Yeah, you, you, if you're mad at somebody, the last thing you want to do is say, I'm mad at you. You, you, you want right. to get the point across. You want to right. like, you know, let them understand what's going on with you. You know, it's right. like when you have a character just come in and say like, I piss at you, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. People right. don't say that. They avoid conflict. So right. what they're going to do is, you know, about earlier, like, can we just sort of, uh, you know, right. you know, I was, you know, and it's like, and then in the scene, if they blow up to him because their point's not getting across, that's something, you know, unexpected. Yeah. Um, to go down the list, yeah. unexpected. It's, it can't go straight at it. As I say, it's got to go sideways. It's got to be a surprise what the scene is doing. It's so, got to take – go ahead. I just want to know – because it's one thing to say do something surprising without – like, what do you mean? Like, where does that come from? Like, it, It's more of a surprising attitude. Like, like going into the scene, you know he's going to be pissed from the last scene. Okay. So if you have him come in pissed, 
you, you know that's, oh, we're just carrying on this scene. We know you never, you got to end a scene before we know what the next part's going to be. Like right. people have some, you got to end before the resolution because we got to see what happens now. Right. And so if he comes in and he's got a birthday cake now, he's got a cake. He bought this guy a cake. You go like, what the fuck? I thought he was pissed at him. Right. And, and, and he's coming in with a cake. You're going like, what the fuck is going on? That's right. what unexpected of like, I'm still going to get to our story where it's got to go. But now he's got a cake. You right. know, why the fuck did he bring, you know, so that's what I mean by unexpected. Mm-hmm. So um, that uh, interesting. So maybe he's talking about his favorite cake, you know, something that, 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 <laughs> that, that, that sort of like, even if you don't know what the story is, you go like, oh, I never thought about that cakes. You know, why do people eat cakes? You know, what, where right. start? <laughs> da, da, da. Like, like if you can get some real shit in there, right. While you're doing other scenes, people are going to be engaged just about what you're talking about. Right. So it's almost like, like you're saying about um, Invisible Ink, with comedy, it's invisible, like, story. It's like you try to make the story invisible mm-hmm. because it's all about hiding pipe. All this stuff I'm doing is hiding pipe. I'm right. hiding the, the sort of where we got to go and sort of the, the exposition to get us to the next place. Sure. All about hiding that shit. Each scene has to do that in these unexpected, uncom- uh, in these ways that, that engages the audience. Each scene has to engage the audience. So again, it's got to be real. He can't. He can't be on Mars and bring a cake in. You know, it's like you can't fucking do that. You know, well, you right. gotta. You know, it's like. And also, did he stop by? You know, I was just taking a drive around for six hours and I passed a bake. Like you see, like like you got to know that this guy really would do that. It can't be so right. that you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. You know? Right. So it's got to be grounded. You can't just. And I say grounded. Because what we were talking about before about just going for the joke, you can't just go for the joke because it could. I've had whole scenes before I worked with Chuck. I would try to save a whole scene for a good joke, and the mm. scene would be fucking not working at all. But this right. joke was fucking gold. It was the best joke I've ever written. Is in the scene. Da da da. Chuck Glory goes fucking get rid of the joke. It's it's ruining your whole scene. And you go like he's fucking right. <laughs> I gotta get rid of this. It's beautifully crafted. It's a beautiful joke. But it's, I got to kill your baby. You got to get that thing out of there because it's hurting the whole scene because that's all you're headed towards. Right. Sure. Um, and then the last one is funny. Of course, it's got it can't, you know, I mean, yes, there's drama, but but not funny in joke, but funny. Like the cake is already funny because you're like, what the fuck is a cake? Why would he buy a cake? Like, like, that's a good that's a surprising attitude coming into this scene. Mm-hmm. That's where sort of your humor should come from that, not in. If he comes in talking about cakes, you're like, what, what, you know, making a joke about a cake. You know, I've had a cake once. Like, like, it's it's it, and all that stuff has to be, and it has to look effortless. Right. It all has to look like, <laughs> oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. Right. Like, it, it, whenever we call it tortured, whenever you have a thing that's sort of a tortured thing where this it's this turn of phrase which sets up this joke right. which sets up the you're you're twisting yourself just to get to that point. You can't right. take all that out. Each each thing this person has has to stand on its own. It has to be grounded. It has to be real. They have to be in the scene. It's got to move things forward. And at the end of the day, you can't see it. Again, it has to be invisible. All that has to be yep. invisible underneath everything. How do you see a scene? What is a scene supposed to be doing? The scene shouldn't be doing what you think it should be doing. And by that, I mean, you know where the story has to go. And you want to hide that in a fun way because mm-hmm. it's a comedy show. Right. What's the most fun you can have hiding that pipe 
or that scene. So then even if somebody's watching that, they, they almost like get the story subconsciously, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so then you got to go like, well, what's a funny scene about sitting around? Like that's again, okay, where are they at? Okay. They're sitting in a kitchen. All right. What's in the kitchen? Like you almost build the, the scene from like ground up mm-hmm. and go like, okay, all right. Maybe he's hungry. Oh, have you ever been hungry? And there's no fucking food. And like you start building a real fun situation that you've been in that, that annoyed you. There was a scene I wrote for Mike and Molly and uh, there was a, uh, the, the concept was he and Molly were now only going to share one car. And so he was sort of stuck at home and I wrote a scene and it felt like an old school comedy scene because it was the other guy in the house, Vince said, Oh, you can borrow my car. And he's like, Jesus Christ, thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to the, uh, the batting cages. Yeah, I'm just going to run there. I'm going to park uh, in that, uh, you know, in that um, lot right next to it. You will never, ever park my car in that lot. Uh, like he was so protected. The scene became him protecting of his car. <laughs> right. Instead of what you're going to do is go two blocks down. You got to park it there. You got to da 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 da. And it became one of those things where it was so much work that the guy just handed back the keys. And he goes, "Are you sure?" I have a you know. And so it it and it felt like an old school scene that you would see on Andy Griffith. And that was one of my yeah. proudest scenes I wrote because it was like. Oh, it was just a true thing of like trying to borrow something from somebody who's so precious with the thing, not worth it. <laughs> right, right. And, 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 and so that real human element was a great, did it move the story along? Kind of, you know, it, it showed he got more frustrated, but it sure. wasn't like, you know. So that's what like what a scene like that. If you can figure out how to, to, to illustrate his frustration in a fun way like that, you've won. You know, that's mm-hmm. like, you know, oh man, I did something really good there. I will say this with sitcoms your plot has to be this big. Mm. The bigger the plot, the you're done. Because all that has to, the plot has to do, it has to be an emotional, it has to resonate emotionally. So then you see other characters, their emotional reactions to it. Mm-hmm. If you put too many things in the plot, then that clouds the emotion. Of the character. Then you gotta, you gotta get, you, you've gotta force yourself to get to the next place to do the next part of the plot and it becomes too plotty as they say mm-hmm. if, on a sitcom emotion drives your story great example of that is the everybody loves raymond episode where it was them fighting over who would take the suitcases upstairs mm-hmm. that's the whole story is who will take the suitcases <laughs> right. upstairs. yeah and it's like if that's not the purest you know most the simplest thing but it brings up who did what it brings up all it brings up a lot of things and if you can do that if you can have a simple story that brings up a lot of emotion that's you won you know then it's then it's great because then you have scenes to go to then you have emotional scenes to go to then you can go to different places and talk about what you're feeling and stuff like that yeah um but i think as a rule people try to complicate things and it never makes things better and but I- Right. but but uh i will say this in chuck lorries where we're able to do that because we get no studio notes no network notes so there's no mm. upselling. There's no upselling of a story. Oh, a lot of times in 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 Derek Comedy, you you'll have to add like they'll say raise the stakes, which means like you know blah blah blah. But Chuck and Chuck's world, we lower the stakes. We right. make them more real. We make an accurate can be your spouse is mad at you because in real life, if your wife's or girlfriend's <laughs> mad at you, that's the worst thing that could happen to you at that point. Right. And that's enough. 
It's not she's going to leave you. <laughs> right. go, you know, right, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. she doesn't need to do that. She's mad at you, and that's a big thing. Now, how am I going to get out of the fucking doghouse? How right. am I going to deal with this thing I made? I, I hoisted my own. I did it myself. I got myself in this fucking shitty situation. Now, how am I going to get out of it? Mm-hmm. You know? uh, but whereas in another world where they have to upsell those stories, okay, she's mad. What happens next? Well, does she? Well, if she's just mad, that's not enough. She needs to. Maybe she keys his car. Maybe she's done, you know, they start adding this shit. And right. Like, well, now she's a bitch. Now I don't like her. You know, so they start adding <laughs> right. this stuff uh, just because it's like it, they can pitch it up. You know, they need to pitch it to their boss. Right. But that's why those things grow and become more complicated and less about the human emotions, more about things they can pitch and throw at it. There are, I don't know how many cliches there are about being simple, but there's plenty of them about, um, you know, Bruce Lee used to say, um, about martial arts that you you uh, cut out the unnecessary. And there's lots of things about that. There's not one cliche about how making things complicated is better. (laughs) There's not one. Yeah. Uh, There's not a less is more for, there's no such thing because it isn't true. Otherwise that would exist, right? There's no, there's not even one cliche that says it's better to be more complicated, but I can't tell you how many writers think that it is better to be more complicated. But I t- those people tend to be people who live in their heads and aren't in touch with their emotions. Yeah. Um, and are trying to hide behind their intellect. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're saying about the dramas. You see all that complication because they don't know what they're real. Like, that's, that's when, you, when you can't, when you start throwing jokes at a scene, you know you don't know what that scene is. Right. So that's how we know. When there's too many jokes, you're like, oh, you don't know what's going on here. Because you're, right. you're trying to hide the fact and just put a bunch of jokes in there. Yeah. That's why you take out all the jokes in the scene. I always tell people, there are people who think they're good at dialogue. I say that because a lot of people I know who say they're good at dialogue are not good at dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they're good at is a certain kind of dialogue um, that is kind of self-conscious usually. They, they're not good at making uh, the bus driver sound like a bus driver and the Harvard professor sound like a Harvard professor. Like, you know what I mean? Like, people speak differently. They're not good at that. They're just good at going, you know, everybody kind of sounds like a Tarantino person, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But what I find is people will lean on their strengths and that's how they hide. Yeah. So if they're good at jokes, they'll give you a lot of jokes because that's how they hide. Yeah. And I always say to people, look, if you favor your good leg, you will limp. If you favor the thing you're good at, it's going to be off. If you're already good at that and you can do that in your sleep, forget about it. Yeah. It will take care of itself. What's the thing you're bad at? Work on that. Where I'm really bad that's at driving. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's the thing you do with the writer's room is, is you try to get people that make up for your weaknesses. You try sure. to get other writers that can fill those gaps. Mm-hmm. You know, and that allows you to go to a place that you couldn't do alone. Right. You know, and, and that's the good part of a writer's room. You know, there's, there's bad parts and good parts, but that's a good one. If you can um, have play people's strengths. He's a story person. He just lives and breathes that. Have that person do stories. Don't, I mean, I, in, a, in a writer's room is different because you almost like, you use them as pieces of your brain. Mm-hmm. So you now have the joke guy and you force, the, you, well, you want jokes from this guy. You don't want him to figure right. out the story fix, you know? Right. So you use the writer's room as, as, as more pieces to your brain so you're a better person, a better, right. a better in the world. But then it's your job then to keep everybody honest. Like you're saying about Chuck, is like you, your job as a showrunner that might be a great joke, but I got to keep the script honest. I got to keep it grounded. I got to be sort of the, 
the conductor of this orchestra, you know. You figure out what you do. Like, I, I have a friend who's an animator, and he he worked at Disney for a long time, and he said he used to draw, like, a, there's an old animator, and he's dead now, he's been dead a long time, but Freddie Moore at Disney. And Freddie Moore um, was kind of the guy who kind of defined the look of Disney for a long time. So if you think about the old, like, Steamboat Willie Mickey Mouse, Freddie Moore's the guy that came along and gave Mickey like real ears and, you know, like, yeah, that's a Freddie Moore design. And Freddie Moore kind of famous for a lot of the women he would draw and, and things like that. And a lot of people copied Freddie Moore. And this guy came in after Freddie Moore, but he's like, you know, I would do life drawing and I, all my women look like Freddie Moore women when I go to a life drawing class and he goes, I couldn't stop it. And then he said, then I, I realized I have to draw what I see. And he broke himself of that habit by going, what do I see? Because he was filtering it through Freddie Moore. Yeah. And I find writers do the same thing. They'll filter through somebody else. Yeah. And you have to get rid of that and figure out what you do. But when you figure out what you do, you can also be aware of what your weaknesses are. Um, I think that that's as important as what your strengths are yeah. to know where you fall. Like, I'm not so good at that. You can work on that. But you, until you know what it is, you can't work on it. And if you know what you're good at, you can go, okay, I'm, because that becomes a habit. What you're good at becomes a habit. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you do a uh, way of least resistance. Right, yeah, exactly. And I guess that's why the Chuck Lorre keeps me from going there, keeps my scripts from being uh, rote and hacky and, like, writing to my strengths where all my stories sound the same. Mm-hmm. So he keeps me going, like, wait, is this, can this scene be better? Can this episode be better? Can this story be better? Can this, you know, and, and, and I think you gotta like with anything you're doing, just keep going. Is this the best? Like we were just going through a script today and there was a script, uh, there was a scene that was okay. And almost like the laziness, I mean, like, I just want to get through the scene. It's fine. And I was like, fuck no, Chuck's going to read it. And he's going to like, what the fuck is this? And then I started going through it again. Having his voice in my head, it's like, oh yeah, what is this doing? You can write a scene and you go like, oh, that's, that's nice. But to be professional and to be on TV, it's got to be better than nice. It's got to be better than, <laughs> right. well, that's okay, you know? And, 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 and you always have to remember that going through shit. It's like, no, people are going to see that. We're going to shoot this. There's going to be a lot of people doing this scene. Right. And it's a shitty scene. It's a shitty scene. And now it's on TV and now you're embarrassed. And right. You're embarrassed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just say like, that's a good enough joke. Right. You can go like, that's a really good joke. And I'm keeping it, even though I've heard it four times during all those run throughs, because I know at its core, it's a great joke. That's one thing that you can do. But you kind of know when something's like, it's almost, you know, there's so many to go from almost to, good or great it's a it's another level right. that you got to get to it's it's a i really feel like um and particularly i would say with with the show that you're doing now i feel like it's um it is at a different level uh than most of the things i see and part of that is that uh the grounding that we're talking about uh the surprises but the surprises feel surprising but not like a betrayal mm-hmm. um and um, so it, it was interesting when you were like, I don't know, I work on instinct. It's like that, that can't be, it's too crafted. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Too you're, crafted. You're, but I guess what I'm doing is, is listening to my, when I don't like something, I'm going like, okay. And that's a hard thing to do too. When mm. something's not working, now you got to fix it. 
Right. That's really fucking hard. Especially right. when something's almost really good. You go like, why don't I like this? Why isn't this? Why am I reading through the scene going like, eh? Then you got to dissect it. You got to go line by line. You go like, is this line doing what it needs to do? Is this? Right. Where, there's no, because in TV, it's, you've got 22 minutes. It's like, there's no fat there. There's no, no. You know, yeah. everything has to, everything has to have a purpose, but not so much that you're like, it, you know, every line is a joke and stuff like that. But just like, it's like, you can't just throw away things. You can't just have a, like, you'll find us, you'll write a scene and one, if one of the characters is just going, really? Oh, come on. <laughs> you know, something's wrong with your scene. Right. You know, it's like, this person has to have, bring an attitude to the scene or else why are they there? Right. Are they moving forward. It, it can't just be them reacting to the crazies that are sort of talking to them. Right. It's yeah. Easy to fall into because it's like you're having you know so much fun with these other characters to give this other person an attitude. It kind of ruins the rhythm of these guys. But you have to do it to make the scene come alive because every character has to contribute if they're in a scene. I was I was talking to uh, Carl Gottlieb about this because in Billy Wilder movies, there's in uh, a Foreign Affair, a movie he made early on. Uh, in his directing career, anyway, he uh, there there are these two uh, uh, soldiers that come into a scene. To to there, it takes place in Germany at, right after the war, uh, and these guys are checking up on uh, some German citizens, and 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 uh, they have this exchange. They don't they're not characters in the movie. They just walk on and they have a scene, but they're real people when they come in. And the jokes they make to each other are jokes people make to each other when they work to each, you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, these are real people that walked into the scene. They didn't go, well, it wasn't utilitarian. They come in, they ask for the papers and go. They come in, they have an attitude yeah. that is interesting yeah. to watch that also makes you think they have a life outside the scene, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, it changes everything. And, light, and, and um, you know you're in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing. Exactly. Yeah. But, but in, in the outline, I'm sure, okay, two, two guys come in and check his papers, you know? And yeah. it's like, uh, in, in other hands, they would just go, can I see your papers? This looks okay, you know? I don't know. Uh, it looks like it's written in crayon, right? Give it back. You know, it's like, nothing. Those guys gave us nothing. And you made a shitty joke. And that was just, you know, but I just, because all the, you wanted was that character to be nervous that somebody was checking the paper, you know? Right, right. Well, what he did was give those people life. He, you know, it's like he hid, he hid what he had to do in that scene in a right. great way, in an interesting way, in a way that, you know, that engaged you, you know? Mm -hmm. It's, that's, 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 I guess what I mean by making something good to, you know, it's like, it's, if you stop there, if you stop at your outline, if you stop at like, oh, this this person's just doing, you know, they just need to do this in the scene, then you're doing a disservice to your audience. You 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 haven't worked hard. You know, you got to think about every fucking thing. It's never good enough. It's always, you know, could it be better? What is it doing? Why? That's the thing. You got to ask why a lot when you're writing stuff. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the people that don't do that, that's what you're talking about of like, well, they just, what the, what the fuck was that person there for? Just confuse right. me? Right. Oh, this, 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 they need a why. Everybody needs a why here, you know? Lowell Gans, I think it was Lowell, yeah, Lowell Gans, when he was working on the Odd Couple television show, said the best writing class he ever got was Jack Klugman yelling at him every day. So he would write these jokes, and Jack Klugman would, would go and yell at him in his face every day for his whole time on the show, and he would say, what do I want? What do I want? 
because it's like, I can't play these jokes. I have to know what I want. And this scene is not about what I want. This scene is about jokes. He said he just yelled it in his face every day. That's so, yeah, you know. That is so true. Because that's, uh, honestly, I, I got better because Chuck Lorre yelled at me. Like, really? I, I've kept scripts where, uh, circled, like, uh, no, stupid, <laughs> bullshit, just words, just words. You see, he wrote in a script bullshit so much he just started going BS, BS. Uh, and I kept that script because it was a joke. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, I was in a bad mood when I read this. I'm not in a bad mood anymore. But but I looked, I was able to look through all the yelling and stuff. Like, I, oh, here's what he's, he's, he's not mad at me. He's right. mad at his material and it's not good enough. And he's right. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to leave my ego at the door and go like, what's he fucking saying with this? Oh, and his yelling actually changed my stomach. It's like, like going on instinct. You're talking about, he's yes. changed my instinct and you can't do that without somebody yelling at you or that fear of that person overriding. Right. Like, like, like you're saying about going to your, like, like, uh, you know, if you go to your strengths, you'll limp, but mm-hmm. that's what I was doing. But my strengths were wrong. My strengths weren't good enough. Right. And he got me to a level where I was better at it, where I was, where, where I was doing more. Do you know how he got to be like, what was his training? Who did he, where did he come from? He was a musician. So he listens to words, the music of words. He was a failed musician. Okay. I'm lucky he wasn't as good a musician as, 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 you know, it's like he, he got into writing because he didn't, he was trying to feed his family. So he got in through cartoons, my little pony, shit like that. And he just hustled and worked, but he writes from a, a emotional real place where people say this, that kind of thing. And, and his instincts, his characters, like, that's why they're so universal. Like, because you know what they're thinking. You know, they're simple. There's, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, you know where everybody's coming from. And, you know, like, you might think his characters are broad and generalized. They are to a certain extent just to get you in to know who this person is. Right. You know? Then there's, then as he, what he's good at is as the series progresses, you start removing the layers of you just think this person is cheap. And you realize, oh, no, this person has mom issues. This person has this. Sure. He's more of a, you don't try to, in, in a pilot, you shouldn't complicate the characters. Right. You should know who they are from the very beginning. Yeah. Then, then it's about discovering who they deeper are. You know, you right. know, that's what some people, they try to make, you know, this person's good at his job and he's this, da, da, da. No, just make him worried about losing his job. You know, just give him right. one thing to worry about in this pilot. Right. We see he's a nervous guy. That's fine. That's enough. You know, right. we can find out his mother was shitty later. We can find out all this other shit that you're complicating this thing later. Right now, he's just trying to solve this one simple thing. Uh, Eddie Gordetsky's guy said, like, being in a writer's room with Chuck is like playing jazz. It's like you got your, your horn guy, you got your thing. And when it's grooving, it's great. Because right. the scene's grooving and, and, and people are coming up with lines. that When, it, when, when it's at its best, uh, you've set up this scene emotion what this guy needs and it and you you're able to say lines back and forth that are funny but yet move the scene forward that are natural like when you're when you're torturing over a joke you know something's wrong with your scene it's right. like it's got to flow this scene has to flow or else something something's wrong flow like music and chuck will also do the thing he you learn from chuck too if a character says a word twice in in a in a in a like that's he'll craft it to that level too of being annoyed. Like if he hears the word twice in a page, really? You know? Yeah, and 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 at first you go like this is bullshit, 
but he's taking all out the, all those sour notes. So whatever is going to stop you from the groove of it, he takes it out. Interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And, and at first you scoff at it, but you're like, oh, no, he's thinking at that level. He's a little OCD that way. Uh-huh. So he'll stop a scene if the light switch is off and the lights are on. He'll go like, that's not real. He'll right. And flip the light on. Then he'll talk about what time of day is this and da 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 da. He'll he'll get to the real of everything. I'm sure this is true for you with certain things. You can you can thin slice them and you go, this ain't getting any better. I'm I'm sure a pitcher like a guy who uh, who plays baseball professionally can see a pitch coming and go, I know where this ball is going. I see the trajectory. Yeah, I don't need to see the end of this to know because they can't. Yeah. They can't wait till the ball is where it's going to be, right? They have to be able to predict where it's going to be. And that's having hundreds of pitches thrown at them, right? They go, yeah, yeah, I yeah. see where this is going. And you can, um, when you're in tune, and anybody can do it, it's probably everybody does do it depending on what they're good at. They can see when things are just off and not working. And those things can be invisible to other people. I, I watched The Apartment for the first oh. time on a plane the other day. and it was Oh, you've so never seen it before? I've never seen it. Dude. It was so good. It was amazing. Yeah. Just, yeah. Oh, man, you missed out. Yeah. You yeah. missed out. I'm glad you saw it finally. Oh, man, that movie yeah. is unbelievable. That movie for me is, take Billy Wilder, who has a crazy career and amazing movies and amazing hits and amazingly crafted things. The apartment is like the culmination of everything he learned up until that moment. Like it's everything like you just don't you can't you can't start with that. That'll never happen. That's years and years and years and years and years of craft that makes that movie. It's so solid. Um, it's so it's a it's a it's a it's a very special movie, I think, in that how well it is made and how well it is put together. Um, yeah, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, and I see it. And people talk about it as like, I go, how can it live up to the hype? And then I was like, oh, my God, it's so good. <laughs> and dark and, and everything. It's just like commit suicide. It's like it's like crazy. It's just so. And I love that they think he's the Lothario. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many wonderful <laughs> yeah. things in that. It's just so great. It's so good. And that's an, that's an example of characters not just being walking yeah. in. Right. Yeah. Everybody has a thing. Yeah, everybody's got a thing. Everybody, yeah, exactly. Everyone's there for a person. You know who these people are. Yeah, they all have a way of talking. And 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 think about it. Those next their neighbors are sort of like uh, Jewish nosy neighbors, right? You know, but they they turn out to be real people, right? You know who they are at the beginning, and then you find out who they are as the story progresses. Oh, she's a sweet woman, and he's a doctor, and he, you know, it's just like these shit. These people have more going on in their world than we realize, and it's yeah, that to me is cool. But you do, and what he does too is you know who these people are. You know exactly who these people are when you meet them. Yeah, right. And you and people forget that they think that's hacky. They think that's like oh come on, but no, it just gives the audience something to sort of just. Okay, I, I, it lets them connect to it. Yeah. And, and if you only have them be Jewish characters, you know, nosy people, that's one thing. Then that's stupid right. and that's lazy. Right. But it's like you've got to give them that in. You've got to give the audience an in so then they'll be there with you when you explore this character and when you do other things with them. Yeah. And I think people forget that in pilots when they're writing pilots. They, 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 they try to make these characters so complicated and complex 
that the audience doesn't have a chance. The audience hasn't sat with you for a year and a half while you developed this. It's almost um, what you would do in a fairy tale. I don't mean that in the, I mean that in the best way. You say, this is the Wicked Witch. That's all you really need to know about it right now. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is the yeah, Wicked yeah. Witch. These kids are orphans. That's all you need to know about them right now. Right, you know? <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, you can tell a story that way. You can, again, if it's a series, if it's the Hansel and Gretel series, then you, you know, you, you, there's more to work to do. But initially, all you need to know is almost, I don't want to say their function, but in a way, you know what I mean? Like, well, this is the stepmother and she's mean, right? Now, she may have a reason for being mean. Like, she may have, like, when you get to know her, you go, oh, she's not mean. She's just afraid that she won't be a good mother and she overcompensates or she, right? You know, but well, yeah, you don't yeah, start yeah, there. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah, that's, yeah. You let's start there. She's just the evil stepmother. That's all you need to know right now. Um, and if you do it well enough, you can get away with it for that. But then you, yeah, you you can also hint at layers. Yeah, I think you don't have to show them right away. You can hint at layers, especially if that person seems very real. Um, but you don't know much about them, but they seem real. Like, oh, I don't. Well, I I really felt that way about uh, Fraser's dad. Like, you meet him, and he's very real. You learn more about him as you go on and he becomes, he deepens and he becomes more real. But when you first meet him, he's, uh, I wouldn't say he's one note, but he has a function in the story and he's supposed to be this guy who's hard for Frazier to get along with. And he has that function, but he does have a point of view and a perspective. Yeah. That makes sense. And he hates, I think, I think I remember that he hates that he's, that Frazier has to come take care of him, right? That he, Mm -hmm. he you know, and that's yeah. great to see somebody that, that, cause that's, and that's all too. Like you need human emotions that people can connect to that say, Oh, I can understand that. I would hate to be in that position. I can, I know what his want is. I know what his problem right. is. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, you're getting older and you know, I could see where it's like, Oh man, now I gotta, you know, that must be a hard transition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Spent your life being independent and now you're dependent, right? Which is a yep. childlike state. And it's like, well, I'm an adult. I don't want to be. And if they didn't childlike. give him that, he would just be a grumpy, like one note person that you're like, well, I don't want to, I don't. And that's the thing too. It's like Chuck says this, you have to have empathy for these characters. Even right. when they're hateful characters, you should have empathy for them. You should mm-hmm. have, and they should have empathy for each, for each other or else they'll just, they're just hateful. Right. So even when the dude's yelling at his brother, you got to know that there's love there or else you know, our, right. the, the other show, we're going to Bob Hart's have a show that we're, we're writing from a positive place. Like these characters aren't tearing each other down. Yeah. Like, like when they make a joke to somebody, you don't just go like that hurt, but you can kind of go like you make them either on the same level that they can give, give as good as they get, or it doesn't go to the mean snarky. Right. place. Oh, uh, just another thing people do put just one last thing. Uh, no, I won't even say it. Fuck it. No, 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 don't no, do that. No, you no, can't no, do no. that. You can't do that. All right. Don't do a scene about what's going to happen next. Okay. That. Okay. Uh, don't comment. I said that on what somebody just said. Don't write to an ending. Uh-huh. Just don't, you know, it's like have, 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 have the audience, like if the audience, if you're surprised as a writer, the audience is going to be surprised as they, sure. as they watch it. Put the messy in the outline. When you're doing an outline, put your messy emotions in there. Don't just put jokes in there. Mm. Like, like, like what, what, what's the complication and what's the emotional complication in this scene? that's going to carry us to the next scene. And people forget that they try to just put the jokes in there. And then that's all they're thinking about is the joke of the scene and not what the right. emotional mess is. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's all. No, I mean. those are all good things. 
All right. Those are all good things. Man, uh, I uh, first of all, thank you so much for doing this and taking the time to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have always enjoyed every interaction I've had with you. And uh, this is no exception. I, I, I really always have thought of you as an exceptional human being. And, oh, that's uh, great, no, it's totally you too. true. You too. Uh, You're thank a wonderful you. dude. Yeah. Uh, you really thank are. you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier to have, uh, have you on the show and be part of this. And, uh, and I always take uh, pride in seeing your name and your work. Like oh, I, I know that guy and he's a cool dude and he deserves everything he gets. <laughs> that's great. I, you know, I know some people I don't think deserve everything they get. You're not one of those people. So, <laughs> so, well, thank you. so yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching. You are a storyteller. If you have any questions or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at beliefagency.com. 